morning, church. Good morning, and welcome back to our 40-day challenge series. I love this series. I just love what God's teaching us and growing us. And in this series, we're saying, let's take 40 days and live like Jesus. Let's just take 40 days and live like Christ in every area of our life. Let's put God first, every decision we make. And we're hearing just tremendous results about what God's doing in people's lives. And I love this. We're also saying in these 40 days to make it personal. Make it personal. One thing that you're praying about for 40 days, one thing for your family or one thing for your career or one thing just in your life that you're saying, I'm going to pray about this for 40 days and let's watch God do miracles. And we've already been hearing those things and it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Now we started two weeks ago and we said this, that Jesus went through a 40 day experience, right? If you open God's word and you look in the book of Matthew and in Matthew chapter three, Jesus is baptized and then he is led if you go into Matthew chapter 4, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. So for 40 days, Jesus is there with God, right? And we said temptation is not a sin. Temptation is an opportunity for us to choose to follow God, to choose to be obedient. It's how we grow spiritual muscles. And so God's preparing Jesus just like God's preparing us. And God's preparing us for what God wants to do through us for his glory. So we talked about this foundation that's laid. Last week, we talked about faithfulness. We said that it's not just about 40 days, and we go through 40 days, and we check it off. We're like, all right, what's next? You know, what's the next series, or what's going on in my life? What's the holidays are coming? We said that this should lay the groundwork. It takes 40 days to build a habit, right? It takes 40 days to start a habit or to break a habit. And so we want these 40 days that we're pouring into the Word of God, we're reading God's Word, we're praying, and this becomes a habit in our life. We saw with Jesus from that time on, from that time on, you know, and for all of us, God has a great plan for your life. God has an incredible purpose for you, and from this time on, that we put a stake in the ground and go forward, and today we're talking about living like Jesus in our family. Now, a lot of times, that's the hardest place to live like Jesus, right? Because we're, we give our best at work, and we're tired when we get home, or whatever's going on in our lives, but we're talking about that. If you look through Scripture, there's a lot of family dynamics that are going on here. Biblical scholars believe that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, probably passed away at some point when Jesus was growing up. So Mary, being a single mom, you know, probably raising Jesus. Jesus, a lot of people believe, didn't begin his earthly ministry until he was 30 because he was the oldest in the family. He had this responsibility to take care of his younger earthly siblings, and he did that. Uh, you see John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. You see when Jesus called his disciples, many of them, you know, were related or brothers or cousins. And so there's a lot of family dynamics going on even in Scripture. All of us, we have family dynamics going on, right? All of us. And whether we're married or we have kids or we're not married yet, we have roommates, we got parents, we got, you know, all these people around us and nieces and nephews, we all have these family dynamics. And so today, we've brought in an expert. So <laughs> Shanti Feldhahn, uh, she studied at Harvard, graduated from Harvard, and then she went on Wall Street and was doing analysis on Wall Street, and you were an analyst there uh, for years. And while you were there, you kind of started researching relationships. Yeah. And uh, God brought some revelations to you and you said, wow, I think I need to be doing this. And so you wrote a book uh, for women only, then you wrote another book for men only, sold two million copies and uh, you know, 23 different languages. 
And you just went, wow, God is speaking through me and impacting relationships. And so, Shanti, I'm really glad you're here. I know you've been on the Today Show. I know you've been on, you know, Focus on the Family and New York Times and all those things. Um, But I'm really thankful that you would take the time to be with us. You're married to Jeff. What a great name. Good choice. You know, that (laughs) that was awesome. And you have two kids. You live in Atlanta. So you get this whole thing uh, about relationships. Um, So tell us about why is it sometimes so hard uh, to live like Jesus at home, you know, in our families? You know, I think honestly, both for me and, and I think in the, the research that I've done, truly it's the place that it's easiest for us, us to let our guard down. Mm. It's the place where it's easiest to take those around us for granted. Because I think when we're kind of out there as believers, we really want to be the best for the world, you know, that, that needs the light of Christ. And it's kind of easier to be others focused When we get home, it's the place, I don't know about you, but I just want to be able to let my guard down. I want to be kind of self-focused, like I'm having a hard day and I just don't want to have to be worrying about others. And um, and and it it is obviously the place we need to be able to be the most transparent. We need to be able to let our guard down, but we also need to realize that these are the people that we love the most and we we can't have this be the group of people that gets our worst right. just because we're tired and we need that safe place ourselves. Yeah, that's such a great insight because these are the people we love the most, right? Yeah. You know, and so for us to be at our best, um, living like Jesus there. Well, you wrote this book for women only and you didn't really start out to write this book. Uh, <laughs> you were writing a novel and... Uh, Tell us about that whole process because you discovered some things in that. I, I did. It's so funny to hear you call me an expert because, you know, I started out, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor, right? I was an analyst and the average semi-confused wife, right? And, and, but I had this chance to write a couple of novels. And one of the main characters in one of my novels was a man. And I realized I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. Like, I didn't know what a guy would be thinking, but I had to say what my main character was thinking, right? Not just what he was doing. And so I started talking to my Jeff, and um, we'd be, you know, out to dinner with other couples, and I'd go to the other men, and I'd say, you know, can I, can I interview you? <laughs> and here's the scene in this book that I'm writing. What would you be thinking if this was you in the situation? And as they started telling me what they'd really be thinking, half the time I'm like, seriously? Like it was, it was really surprising. And as I started doing more of these, I realized what I was hearing, it wasn't just that it was surprising, that was a big deal. I started to realize that the things these men were describing were things that were really foundational. It wasn't stuff that they described like, you know, I think this sort of off in a corner, it happens once every couple of months. These were things the men were describing, thinking and feeling every single day, multiple times a day. And at that point, I'd probably been married almost 10 years. And of course, I'm like, why have I not heard this before, right? Because it was so foundational. And because I have that analytical background, I ended up approaching it that way, and it became a a big research study of not just a lot of interviews, but then focus groups, and then big nationally representative surveys to try to dig out what percentage of men does this really apply to. And then after For Women Only came out, we said, okay, we got to do the reverse, and then the big study of women, and then eventually of teenagers, and that body of research has expanded, and it's usually digging out 
those little things that really make a big difference. It's just stuff we tend not to know. Wow. Yeah. So tell, what, what are we thinking? What are guys, <laughs> <laughs> tell what, what are guys thinking? I mean, like, when you boiled it down, what did you discover? Well, the, probably, if, if we're picking just one, the most important thing that's going on that, that I hadn't realized inside the heart and the mind of men is that you guys feel so differently about yourself on the inside than you look on the outside. We women think that you men think you're all that, you know, that there's this high level of confidence, this big ego, and it turns out, uh, ladies, I know this is kind of a shocker, but it's just this surface. It's just a mask. And on the inside, the men describe feeling like, yeah, I want to tackle a challenge. You know, I want to be great at being a husband. I want to be a great dad or, you know, a great salesman or whatever it is that you do. But I'm really not sure I know exactly what I'm doing and I hope nobody finds out. Like inside the men, there's this self-doubt and this vulnerability and insecurity that we women, we don't even know it's there. And it's kind of a raw nerve and you can hit the nerve without knowing that that's what you're doing and without ever intending to. So that's a big thing that's going on on the inside yeah. in men. Well, how do you, because uh, that's a great point, how do women then, how do you uh, see that in a man and how do you affirm that? I mean, yeah. Well, it turns out, <laughs> this is the big shocker for me, is that what we need as women to give to a man that we're trying to show love to is completely different in, in most cases, not all, there's always exceptions, than for us as women. We, we most, our question as women in our hearts is kind of, is am I lovable? Which is why having him say I love you is such a big deal. Well, for, for guys, the question isn't am I lovable, it's really this do I measure up, right? That's that secret doubt. It's do I measure up? And he's, he's looking to the people around him for clues, and especially to his wife if he's married, if, if he's a child or a young man, he's looking to his parents for clues and signals to the answer to that do I measure up question. And, um, and so that's where we women have this opportunity that we often just didn't realize that what what I found on the survey for men is they said that three out of four men said that they, if they had to, they would actually give up a feeling that their life, their wife or their girlfriend loved them if they could just feel that she respected him and that she um, believed in him and appreciated him and trusted him and admired him. And all those things were far more important to the average man even than feeling that she loved him. And that's a huge difference. Mm. And it gets us women into a lot of trouble because we're really good at showing love, right? We, we naturally say, I love you. And instead, what I found from the men is that um, that's nice. It's not that that's you know, bad, that's nice. Yeah. But, but because their greatest need is to feel respected and appreciated, to hear those kinds of words, the problem is what we do say, it's maybe different than, than I realized. I, when I first realized this, I'm like, okay, my husband most needs to feel respect, so I would like follow him around the house and be like, oh honey, I respect you so much. And after a while, my, my poor husband was like, time out, you know, like, I appreciate what you're trying to do, really. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. And, um, and so actually, in, in some of the surveys, 
I'd been trying to find out for years, what is it that you can say to a husband or a boyfriend or a son that has that same emotional thing that I love you does for a woman? And it turns out it's thank you. Wow. And it's literally the littlest things like, I noticed these things that you did and you did a great job. Like literally, thanks for always putting gas in the car. Or, you know, the other day my, uh, the light bulbs were out in the hallway upstairs in my house and it had been driving me crazy. And I turn on the light switch and the light bulbs are all on. And you know, for me to remember to go to my husband and say, thank you for switching out the light bulbs. Or, you know, thank you, I know it was so, you had such a hard day at work. Thanks for taking the kids out in the yard and playing ball anyway. You're such a good dad. For a man, that just is oxygen. It's life-giving. And we think it's this little thing. But for a man, it's huge. I was actually, um, right after I found this out on one of the surveys, you know, I was like, yay, I finally figured this out. I was sharing at a women's conference, and I was sharing this thank you thing, and this woman pops up and walks out the door, and sometimes people are offended or, you know, and I didn't know what was going on. She comes up to me at the book table afterwards, and I could see their eyes were red, and she'd been crying, and it turns out she wasn't offended, she was convicted because she realized she just never thinks to say that to her husband. And that morning, she had walked out the door to the women's conference and her husband was rustling to put up like a, a light fixture or a ceiling fan or something. And he was, you know, he'd been sweating, he was doing this for hours and she walked out and said, bye, you know, see you later. And she said, it didn't even occur to me to say thank you. So I, you know, ran out and I texted him and I said, thank you so much for putting up that ceiling fan and for taking such good care of our family. I appreciate you so much. She comes up and she shows me her cell phone and the text string and the response comes back, who are you and what have you done with my wife? (laughs) (laughs) And, And she's like, I think I need to work on this. And I'm like, we all need to work on this because Mm. most of us just don't realize it's such life for a man. And it's so true. I mean, because as men, we feel this weight to be the provider, the protector, and we want to do it. We love our spouse. You know, we love our wife. We love our kids. You know, we just want to do a good job. But yeah, yeah, that's a great insight. We'll talk about because that's for women only, you know, but there's another one for men only. We do have to cover that. Yeah, we can cover that. So uh, (laughs) talk about that for a moment because there were some great revelations that you had about the women's uh, brain, which I thought was interesting. Working differently? Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it's funny the way God has wired us. We really are so different as Mm -hmm. men and women, and we think we kind of know that, but it's actually there's even brain wiring differences. I mean, literally physical, structural differences. And And one of the things it leads to, I've noticed, is that with men, men describe themselves as just being confused some of the time by women. And it lends itself to a big picture uh, assumption that a lot of men have about women. And I actually discovered it when Jeff and I were, you know, that I knew Jeff was going to have to take the lead on doing the research and writing the book because it's him talking to the guys, just like For Women Only was me talking to the girls. But he was really kind of reluctant to do this. And finally, I'm like, okay, help me understand. What, why are you reluctant? And he's like, well, honestly, I'm not sure you women can be understood. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, what? <laughs> and, 
And he, he starts explaining it, and I realized I had been hearing the same thing as I'd talked to the men over the years. There is something in a man's heart that sort of views women as a bit random. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, really. And, and it, it, for a guy, it lends itself to assuming there's just some part of her I'm just never going to completely understand. Maybe it's a little bit random. So when I see something that, you know, I, why did she say that? Or why did she get upset at that? That there's a predisposition to almost say, you know, like you look and what was the reason? And if you can't really figure it out pretty quickly, it's like, well, it just must have been that random thing. And I just am never going to really understand. And instead, I was telling Jeff, and he, you know, it took a while for him to believe me once he started the numbers coming in, see the numbers coming in. If you as a guy will assume, no, women can be understood just like men can. They can be systematized. They can be mapped. And to truly go, okay, there's something that I'm not understanding here, but if I look and I dig, I'm going to be able to figure it out because it's not random. And then you go, oh, it's that. And then the next time that you're confused, instead of giving up, you go, no, last time there was a reason. I bet there's a reason this time. And you look again, and you start to see, I can have confidence at this. I can understand my wife. And that, honestly, for a woman is huge, because there's so many women who don't feel like they're really understood. And it's easy for the guy to give, you know, give up and back off. And that's unfortunately where you get some unhappy wives, and their husbands are like, but I don't, what can I do, right? I, there's nothing I can do. And, and it, it really is understanding that there is a, there is a map. There is a guidebook. <laughs> well, talk about that because um, what I heard you saying for men, it's do I measure up? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of that thank you, that respect. But what is it for women? What is that, you know, The key? equivalent? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's not a surprise. Men know that women need to feel loved, mm. right? Not a surprise. What is the surprise is how easy it is for her to not feel loved. Wow. And that, that do I measure up is a man's question. For a woman, it's am I lovable? And in marriage, it becomes would he choose me all over again? And see, the thing is, for guys, <laughs> we, we've seen that when you guys get married, there's this thing that happens in your brain where you like don't question whether she loves you. Like you, you know, she walks down the aisle and you sign the marriage papers, you say I do, and it's like, okay, good, on to the next thing, you know? And there, for women, what we tell men is there is no switch in a woman's brain that gets flipped to the, oh, now I feel permanently loved position. And that she has that question Am I lovable? Would he choose me all over again every day, down underneath? And so she needs to know the answer to that every day. And if you can show her the answer to that every day, it prevents some of that insecurity from rising up. And it's literally, it's the smallest things. It's, it's like, you can say that by, you know, you're walking across the parking lot and you reach across and you take her hand when you're walking across the parking lot. That says, I would choose you all over again, right? The other thing that we tell men, though, is that when that has been triggered, just like for you, that do I measure up, that nerve has been hit, when her nerve has been hit, that am I lovable thing, and it's maybe you're, you're having conflict, you're fighting or you're arguing a little bit, and for you as a guy, let's just say you have a conflict over breakfast, 
right? You, you go off to work and it's like, click, you know, you try to put it out of your mind. For her, for most women, that's not what happens. Mm. It's, it's been triggered and it's, it rises up and it's this, ah, uh, are we okay? And it's a really insecure feeling. Even for a very confident woman, that's a really insecure feeling. And for him to reassure her, we're okay. This is not the beginning of things going bad. And it's little, again, little things like, look, I'm angry or I need to go off to work or whatever. But listen, I want you to know we're okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that reassurance for her is huge because, again, she's looking for signals. He's looking for signals. And that says exactly what we need to hear, just like it's what he needs to hear. Wow. Uh, that's so good. I mean, it, it, and these are transferable principles, right? I mean, you yeah. know, for people you work with or roommates or your kids, yeah. you know, I mean, every guy has that yeah. need. Every woman has that need. So yeah. um, talk about this. I, I love this book too, The Highly uh, Happy Marriages, as you studied like <laughs> people who had great marriages. You know, yeah. a lot of times we study what doesn't work, but what did you find that does work? It, it was a fun project, let me tell you. I was, I was um, for about three years studying the most happily married couples, and I was worried once I started, you know, started the project, yeah. I was a little nervous that I was gonna see big things come to the surface. Like, what mattered most were things like, well, you gotta have a kind of a complementary temperament. Or, you know, that, wow, all the happy couples, they all came from intact families. You know, and it doesn't help to go to somebody who's having trouble and say, oh, sorry, your parents shouldn't have gotten divorced, right? Like, that doesn't help. And instead, once I started seeing what came out on the surveys, it wasn't the big things. It was all these little ones, these little actions, these little habits that they just tended to do differently. I identified 12 of them. And one of them, just as an example, it turns out that the happy couples, they prioritize their friendship mm. with each other first and foremost. They, they treated each other like best friends who wanted to maintain that best friendship. And it's, it's interesting when you look at, um, there's been studies that have been done on the primary predictors of friendship. And if I you know, were to have been asked before I did this, you know, what, what's the primary predictor of friendship? I would have said things like, you know, shared values or um, things like, you know, similar temperaments or activities or whatever. And all of that's important, but that's a distant second, third, and fourth. The number one predictor of friendship is geographic proximity. <laughs> You're just the best friends with people you see the most often. Mm. And we, we all know that's true because we've all, I think all of us, have been in one of those situations where we had a really good friend and they moved away or we moved away and you still love each other. You know, you still want to keep in touch, but it's not that closeness as when you see each other and you share life all the time. And it works the exact same way in marriage. Wow. And, that, and that these happy couples, they either, either instinctively or kind of on purpose, they would just prioritize hanging out as much as they could. And, and it wasn't always the big date nights, you know, that's fine, you know, that may be the only time you get together, but literally they would look for these little cracks in the day, like one, one woman was telling me that um, they were feeling distant, and they had young kids, like you guys have young kids yeah. running all over the place, you know, and, and, she, um, and she was looking at their schedule, she said, how much time each week 
do, do he and I have just to talk and share life? And she, it was like 20 minutes a week or something. It was mm. crazy. And so she said, what can we do? And so literally, he would put the seven-year-old in the car to take him to soccer. And she would say, you know what? I'm going to put the baby in the car and come with you. Like, there is no reason why I need to be going to Johnny's soccer practice, except that's 20 minutes in the car mm. I wouldn't have had. So that kind of stuff. And then things like, like for me, I travel a lot because of traveling and speaking. And, and so I'm away from my husband. I'm away from my kids more than I want to be. And so it's even getting, staying in touch on email or text or Skype is a yeah. wonderful thing. You know, it, it's just a matter of being purposeful about staying close. Yeah. I'm so thankful for technology. I mean, FaceTime oh, man, and you know, know that we can keep that, but you, you have to make that a priority, right? Because yeah. your schedules get so busy. Well, it's like, you know, you're talking about looking like Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, G the yeah. one thing that Jesus most was, was purposeful. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that is the, the characteristic of everything he did. And it's really what we have to do in our families. Yeah. 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 And if we don't prioritize then there's so many other demands that come yeah. in and steal our time yeah. and we don't invest in where it really matters. Yeah. Uh, you had another book, that, uh, which I love this, for parents only. Yeah. You know, and me being a dad, I, I love being a dad, you know. So, uh, but you talked about attitude adjustments with, with kids. <laughs> I thought that was a great title. Uh, explain that. Unpack that for us. Well, it turns out um, this, well, in this study, let me explain. This was of teens and preteens. Okay. Uh, we couldn't legally survey down to the younger kids, but we found that in much of the time it did apply to the younger kids. We just don't know the numbers exactly. And you know that that thing that you see, and it's especially apparent once they hit that 9, 10, you know, preteen ages and then up, where you see that attitude coming up and you see the lippiness or the eye rolls or, you know, the anger, and there's something in you as a parent. I don't know about you. You're probably a nicer person than I am, but for me, when I see my daughter, like, eye roll, I'm sorry. It's like, you know, the steam whistle goes off. Am I the only one who's like that? And, and I like, I want to just react. And I found when I was seeing the survey data come back from the kids, there is something really important going on underneath the surface. Mm. It turns out that that attitude is primarily, most of the time, is primarily like this, um, it's like a red flashing warning light. Mm. And it's saying, look closer, look closer, there's something underneath that. And it's a signal that this is a kid that is just not feeling very good about themselves right now. Mm. And it turns out a lot of that attitude stuff is what we were just talking about, about women and about men, that stuff that's underneath the surface, that am I lovable thing that's been triggered, that do I measure up thing. So like for a girl, for example, you know, for a girl, she most wants to feel loved and accepted, and the worst feeling in the world for a girl, therefore, is feeling like someone's talking about her behind her back. Mm. And I'm sorry, our schools are like Mean Girls Central. Mm -hmm. You know, it is triggering this stuff, even in really young ages. And so what happens is she's feeling so terrible, so unlovable, she comes home and she's acting out, and it, this is all subconscious, by the way, she's acting ugly, she's acting irritable and it's attitude in the one place that she's hoping, craving that someone will prove to her that you are lovable because I'm going to love you even when you're at your worst. Mm. And there's this subconscious thing that that's 
what she's longing for and yearning for. And so I realized we can't, we can't allow the disrespect, obviously. We have to deal with the surface too, but we can't just stop there. We gotta figure out and help figure out what's underneath the surface so it's, otherwise it's just a Band-Aid. And on the guy's side, it's a very similar thing for the, for the young men. Like, there was this one boy that we were talking to his parents, and he was, he was probably, I don't know, 15 years old, 16 years old, and suddenly was just angry all the time. And, and by the way, anger for boys or men is a signal of feeling inadequate or disrespected, okay? And so he was, he was angry all the time. And, you know, they would say things like, you know, hey, Johnny, would you put the trash out? And he'd be like, fine, you know, and he'd slam the door what? <laughs> you know, and again, the steam whistle wants to blow. And instead, they started, what's underneath it? And they realized he was, I guess he was on the football team and, and that they had been in a tight game and the, the quarterback had thrown the pass and he was a receiver, had thrown the pass into the end zone and it bounced off his numbers. And which I guess for a guy is like pretty mortifying. Um, and it, all the men are like, you think? Yeah. And, <laughs> and in front of the whole school, he's feeling like a complete failure, mm. completely inadequate. And so it's coming out in this anger. And so, again, you can't, you can't let that go. But what's underneath it? And how do you say, you know, like, for example, my son, he's ADD. He's really tough. It's tough for him as a, as a student. And so he will come home and it's looking for those do I measure up signals. He's 12, right? And he'll come home and he'll, he will give me his Spanish test with the big 95 written on it. And he just, what he's looking for and what we try to give now that we know this is, wow, I'm so proud of you. Great job, buddy. Like, it's this Thing that's yearning for that and it's the case with boys all the way up to our confident looking husbands that you know handing you something and did I do a good job and oh I'm so proud of you and to the degree that you do that you'll see the attitude a lot less often because you've been dealing with what's going on underneath the surface wow that, that's just one of the things that's, that we that's huge I mean it's so impactful in every one of our relationships so if you were to give us just a, a one or two takeaways, what would it yeah. be for today? Probably for the, for the romantic relationship side of things, and even as a parent, is to realize the priority of, for you as a husband or you as a boyfriend, you don't realize that there's this longing to, to feel lovable mm. and to reassure your wife, to your daughter, she's beautiful, she's special, she is lovable, I would choose you all over again. I had one teenage daughter, a teenage girl in one of my focus groups, when we were saying, what would say, you know, this underneath stuff to you? And she was like, oh, I'll tell you what happened this morning. She was like, I'm on my way out to school. You know, I've got my bags and I'm juggling everything. And, and she said, as the door is almost closing, I hear my dad yell from the kitchen, bye, pretty girl. And, and every girl in the focus group just went, you know, there's just a longing in us. And then for the, for the women to, to really realize that thank you and I'm so proud of you and good job and not focusing on the things he didn't quite do right because believe me, he'll see those, you know. That's what he needs to be the man that he wants to be. That's what our boys need. They're growing up in such a difficult culture, a male bashy culture where they're growing up looking at what's my identity in a culture that tells them, no, you're a failure. Mm. 
Mm. Right? And so the power of those two things and meeting those hidden needs, Mm. oh, so huge. huge. Oh, well, just sum it up. If you were to say how to live like Jesus in your family, in your home, what would you say? You know, honestly, Jesus so, you know how I said the thing that characterized his ministry Mm. was being purposeful. Purposeful. And, And for us, truly, to be purposeful, I think we just have to acknowledge, Mm -hmm. I don't have this on my own. Mm -hmm. I can't do this selfless thing on my own. You know, that coming home and needing most to minister most to my family, and I don't feel like it right now. Mm -hmm. My daughter's, you know, that lippiness, I just want to snap or whatever. And and to be able to say Jesus relied on his heavenly father to Mm -hmm. be able to do that, right? Why would we think we couldn't? And that ability to just ask the Holy Spirit, please give me wisdom for what I do here. Please keep me from snapping. Please tell me, bring to my mind the need to say thank you to my husband because I just don't think it's important. I just don't think about it. And bring that stuff to my mind. And that's once we see that he really does. He cares. God cares about our marriages and families. He will help. He will bring it to mind. It's, it's the best incentive to continue. Wow, it's amazing. Well, Shanti, thank you, you know, and as we talk about these 40 days and how do we live like Jesus, I think it's just so important, and the amazing part is we talk about family, that that there's a God who invites us to call him Father, you know, how awesome is that, there's a God who speaks to us in our deepest, darkest need and says, I love you, I care about you, I believe in you, I have a purpose for you, you know, men, you are spiritual leaders, you are good enough in Christ. I mean, that is awesome, and that is our God, and and it's through God speaking to us that then we can love and serve the people around us, and so I think this is so important. The fact is this, if this relationship isn't right, then that's where you have struggles in all relationships, right? You know, and and so maybe today, instead of trying to fix your spouse or fix your children or, you know, fix some people at work, maybe today it's for us just to put a stake in the ground and say, Christ I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the joy of my heart. I want to find my worth and my value in you and your Holy Spirit speak through me in the way that I live that out. That's where it starts. And so I don't know where you are today. I mean, maybe today you're searching, you're seeking, and you're saying, you know, there's something missing inside. That, that's God. <laughs> that's God drawing you to himself. That's God inviting you into this relationship. And that's why these 40 days, we're saying spend time with the Lord, right? Every day, spend time with the Lord for 40 days and watch what God will do. So I just want you to know this, that today, today could be that day for you. Today, spiritually, that could be that day for you with God. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your children, your future marriage, or with your parents. This could be that day that you just say, God, I want you to be first. I want you to be first. I want, I want to just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Our worship team is going to come. And let me just pray over us right now. Father God, we need you. Uh, Father God, so many times we fall short, and God, in so many of our relationships, and yet it's by grace and the redemption that we receive in Christ that we can call you Father, and because we can call you Father, we know that we can then live in right relationship with others. And Father, I know that in the past we've made mistakes, we've messed up, but God, I pray that we would learn from the past and we would go forward in Christ. And so today, speak to us, God. May your presence fill our homes. May your presence fill our marriages. May your presence just fill us as we parent. God, may 
your presence fill us with our roommates and at work and in all of our relationships, that Christ would be exalted. Thank you for being a God who loves us. Thank you for being a God who cares about our deepest, darkest needs. And thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks, Shanti. After the service, I'm gonna be here. There'll be people, yeah, great job. After the service, guys, I'm gonna be here. There'll be people on our, our pastoral care team. If you wanna talk with somebody or pray with somebody, and Shanti, this is great. This is just so important for us, and uh, just for us to live this out. At this time, I wanna invite our ushers to come forward, and it's a chance for us to give back to God, a chance for us to invest in his kingdom and for his glory, and, and let other people know about God's relationship and God's desire in their lives and their marriages and their hearts. And, and so if you're a first-time guest, all we ask is that you give us your communication card and we can follow up with you and tell you what God's doing in and through his church. Uh, if this is your church home, this is a chance for us to give back and to invest in his kingdom as well. Also for prayer requests, man, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Um, as our ushers are here and we have a chance to give an offering, I'd love for you just to think as we give, we put you know, a financial gift or a card or whatever in the offering basket, just think about putting your heart in the basket. Think about just saying, I'm giving my life as an offering to God. I want Christ to reign supreme in me. So Father, here we are, your people, your disciples. Lord, we know that you want us to live in love, to love you, God, and to love others. That's the theme, love, love. And Father, we run after so many things in the world and we think it's about money or success or all this other stuff. But today, 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 we want to put a stake in the ground and say, we want to be a people of love. We want to be a people who love well in our homes, and love well in our lives, in our community, and in your church. So God, thanks for a chance to give back to you. Take what is given today, bless it, multiply it, use it, God, for your name and for your glory. And we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we give. Amen.